The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Please remain standing and turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 3 now as we continue our making our way through this book. Uh, page 977 if you're using the Pew Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 21. So let us listen carefully and worship the Lord by listening well and receiving his word this evening. Ephesians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's look to the Lord and ask his help as we uh, receive his word this evening. Let's pray. Father, how we do praise you for this, your blessed word of truth. We give you thanks and praise for it. But Father, we confess again that it will benefit uh, us in no way unless you come to us and bless us. So please, Father, come, we pray. Send afresh your Holy Spirit and touch our hearts Lord God, as we hear, enable us to receive and to believe, indeed, and to obey the voice of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. For this reason I bow. For this reason I bow. Those are the last five words, or the first five words of the text entitled this evening, and I would submit to you that if we learn to say those five words often, we'll receive, or we will have gleaned good application from the book of Ephesians, our text this evening, indeed the entire Bible. Uh, Friends, how do you respond? How will you respond to the word of God as it's been proclaimed to you this day? Well, again, this evening, how do you respond to the word as you receive it in your own lives each day? The Apostle Paul tells us how he responds, right? For this reason, I bow. He bowed down, maybe fell on his knees or fell on his face in the presence of God, and he prayed. It seems that that was his response to all of the truth that we see revealed in this book because we saw similar language to this. For this reason, I pray. We saw it back in the first chapter 
that 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 great uh, uh, prayer of thanksgiving in chapter one, verses fifteen and following. There he described how he continually prayed. He said, "I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers." And so Paul prayed and prayed and prayed without ceasing, as he commanded in another place. And really, what he says in our text this evening is kind of resuming what he earlier started to say, verses 2 through 13 were kind of an interruption of his thoughts. So he really earlier started to say this. It's kind of like at any point in what he writes here, he could simply fall on his face before God saying, for this reason, I pray. And brothers and sisters, that's what your life and my life ought to be like, ceaseless praying, surely that ought to be our response to what we receive in this wonderful letter. And note uh, one other thing by way of introduction here. Note that this is a a prayer for power. He prays in, in verse 16 that the believers would be strengthened with power in verse 18 that they would they would have strength or power to comprehend and then verse 20 he appeals to that that power which is at work within us this is a a, a prayer for power you know, I guess it's one of the beautiful paradoxes of the Christian life that we know the, the power of God most profoundly when we feel our weakness, when we're on our faces, confessing our utter dependence, our utter need of God, pouring out our hearts into, unto him in prayer. Then we know his power. When I am weak, then I am strong, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians twelve, ten. And so this is a prayer for his power, the power of Christ. Our message this evening is this, that the the gospel moved Paul to bow before the Father in prayer for power. And I want us to note three things this evening about this prayer for power. This is filled with such wonderful content, but I want to suggest that uh, maybe three, these three simple statements can help us as we approach the text This evening, we will see three things about this prayer of Paul, this prayer for power. One, it was prayer that God would powerfully fill the believers with himself. And then secondly, it was prayer for power to know how much he loved them. And then lastly, it was prayer with with confidence that God would powerfully grant all that Paul asked, all that for which he prayed. So consider those those three things, the first then, prayer that God would, would powerfully fill the believers with himself. I'm taking these, these first two points uh, in some ways kind of topically rather than following so much the structure of the text. But, but look at those words which we see near the center there at the end of verse 19 where it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. Just think on those words this evening. They strike me as being so important. There was Paul. What am I praying for you? I'm praying that you would be filled, filled with God, filled with all of the fullness of God. We, we could kind of quibble over the order of things here, you know, talk about the sort of uh, cause and effect relation to these different, these different things that we're seeing. And I was kind of doing that a bit, thinking about that in uh, my first two points, 
you know, in, in the one hand, we could say that it is as we are filled with God, as God is in us by his spirit, that we are enabled more to know his love. It's also true that the more and more we come to know the love of God, the more and more we are being filled with the fullness of God. I think that's certainly suggested by our text this evening. That, that, that's sanctification. In one sense, we, we could describe sanctification as simply being more and more and more filled with God. That, that, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? You know, the work of the Spirit in sanctification is, is mysterious and incomprehensible, albeit glorious and wonderful. And so it is with the ways of God. His ways are incomprehensible beyond our comprehension. I think a, uh, maybe a helpful illustration we could use from uh, redemptive history as well as a nice biblical connection we could be- make is to think, uh, uh, think back to that very important moment in the Old Covenant, the time that the, the, the temple was filled with God's presence. Remember the days of, of Solomon when, when the, the temple was at last finally completed. Think about the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple. In some ways, you could argue Solomon was, was praying the very thing that Paul was praying, that God would come and fill his people, fill the temple with his presence. And yet you may recall that even as Solomon was asking for that very thing, making that prayer, he was recognizing that he was, he was asking for something which could not possibly be, right? Remember 1 Kings 8.27, he asked the question, even in prayer to God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Kind of interesting to think that Solomon, to whom God had given all that wisdom and understanding, and yet he couldn't wrap his brain around the the reality of God actually coming and dwelling in this temple. And yet God did come and fill the temple with his presence. In fact, even as Solomon was praying this prayer, we read that the, the cloud of God's presence had already come. The glory of the Lord, it says, had filled the house of the Lord. What a glorious moment that was. That was a moment of fulfillment of God's promises. What was God's covenant promise? They will be my people. I will be their God. I will come and I will dwell with them. Marvelous. And yet, of course, we learn that that was but a a type and shadow of something far greater that God had purposed to do in fulfillment of his covenant promises. And that's what we're seeing in this section of the book of Ephesians. This, this, this prayer this evening is really further speaking to what we've already seen, what we even saw at the, the beginning, the first part of the chapter where Paul wrote about, about his insight into the gospel, that great mystery which had been hept, kept hidden for ages past, but which had now been made known to him, to Paul, as well as to the other apostles, that great plan of God to bring these these Gentile believers together with Jewish believers and to form one new people, one new body in Christ Jesus. To that, to this one new people, this one new body, God had fulfilled. God was fulfilling his covenant promises to bless and to give life, blessed life, what is it? What, what is the greatest blessing? What is life truly this evening but to know God, to know his presence? And so God had promised his people just that. 
I'll give you life. I will bring you into the fullness of fellowship with myself. I will even come and fill you with myself. That's the blessing. That's the blessing of the kingdom, isn't it? So important. So important to remember this evening that, that, that God's kingdom is no longer identified with any one particular nation. We're reminded of that even in, in verse 15 of our text, which, te- which tells us that God the Father is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And the gospel, therefore, has, has gone forth unto them all. The kingdom is no longer identified with with one particular nation or that one particular people's land. No, and no longer is God identified simply or particularly with the the temple in Jerusalem. No, Christ, he's the true Israel. He's the true temple, and we are in him, his people, his body, which Paul, we were reminded last time, which, which the church, which is being built up as that temple where God dwells by his spirit. And not just Jews, but these Gentile believers are brought together and made to, to be one people, Jews and Gentiles together. Gentiles blessed to be brought and grafted in and included among God's people to be one people. And that is the glorious truth we see this evening, which which moved Paul to pray. And that ought to move you and me to pray. We're not rightly responding to that truth, are we? If it doesn't move us to fall down before God and pray and to pray that prayer, fill us, Lord God, fill us with the fullness of yourself. That's what we ought to pray for ourselves as well as others to pray that for, for, uh, for ourselves as individuals. Note the, the individual focus of the text. On the one hand, we see that, that language in, in verse 16, Paul is praying that you'll be filled in your inner being. Or verse 17, in your hearts. And so we should, we should pray, oh Lord, fill us each one, each heart, each individual, fill us. Fill us with yourself. We know on the one hand that, that we have been filled with God. We have the Spirit. It's the Spirit who has come and, by, and given us faith and, and by that faith united us to Christ. And Christ has come and he has taken up residence in each of our hearts. By faith we possess Christ. Christ dwells in us by the Spirit. He dwells in us individually and he also dwells in us, among us, Corporately, as the church, Paul also focuses, again, not only on individuals, but on the church. Verse 21 makes that that clear here. So Christ, he, he dwells among, he dwells with his people as the church. But then the question is, if, 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 if Christ is already dwelling, God is already dwelling in us as individuals and as the church, then why do we pray for him to dwell in us? Well, we, we see that he, he, he purposes, he desires to do so even more and more, and he purposes and he desires to do so in answer to the prayers of his people. Look again at the language of verses 16 and 17, where, where the Paul is praying just that, that God would more and more. Look at verse 16. Paul's prayer was a prayer that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just think on that. 
Christ in you, Christ filling you more and more and more. It is mind-boggling, isn't it? Maybe it's hard to, to understand, but we believe it. We accept it by faith, and we glory in it, and we're called to pray for it. Even little children can pray for that, right? Little children. But what's the, what's the greatest thing you could ever possess? You might think of a really, really great toy you hope to get at Christmas time. You know, girls, maybe I'll get that one doll or that Lego set or that really great bicycle. Those are great things. But that's not the greatest thing you could ever get. The greatest thing you could ever have is God himself. And God has given himself to you to dwell inside you as you receive Christ by faith, to possess God, to possess him by faith, to be filled with God. What a great thing to to, to have. What a great thing to pray for. But then the second thing we see about Paul's prayer is that it was a prayer for power to know how much God loved his people. I, was, I wasn't here this morning, but I, I gathered uh, during the prayer hour that this was something that was already focused upon, and maybe God really wanted us to focus in on this this evening. I'll ask you the question, dear Christian, do you know how much God loves you? Maybe circumstances, trials in your life are, are causing you to doubt or, 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 or uh, hindering your ability to know the, the love of God, weakening your understanding, and as such, we need to hear it. We always need to hear it. We need to hear it again this evening. We do well to remember that the, the apostle who wrote these words, he understood some things about suffering, didn't he? He was writing these words from a prison where he was suffering. And yet we saw last time in verse 13, he wrote, I ask you not to lose over heart for, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your Glory. So there's Paul in a prison thinking about Ephesus, the saints in Ephesus, and, and, and saying, I don't want you to lose heart over my suffering. And then he reminds them just how much God loves them. How, how great, how great. I, I pray that you'll know how great is the love of God for you. Just think about that this evening. Think about the greatness of the, of the love of a father for his children. Maybe think this evening about a, a tiny newborn baby. Probably many of us who have, uh, have lived through that experience where one of our children at birth, you know, suffered some, some kind of complication where maybe they, they needed to be rushed off to the, the NICU to be monitored and, and cared for with special care. And if you've experienced that in that context, you know what it's like to look at that little child with such love, such concern for one that is so precious to you. And maybe if you've had that experience, maybe you've, you've thought to yourself, I wonder if that little guy, that little girl has even any inkling of an idea of how much love I feel for him or her right now. Probably not. And in some ways, so it is with us. As children of God, we, we have no idea. We're, we're finite, limited in our understanding. We're fallen and sinful at that. You can't even begin to understand this evening how much your God loves you. Well, let it grip your heart, Christian, that you can't know 
because he loves you with a love which surpasses knowledge. Look at the, the language in verse 19. It surpasses knowledge. I'm thinking in a sense, maybe this was mind-boggling. It gripped the heart of Paul as he's writing these things. He suddenly falls down, bows before the Father and says, Oh, Father, oh God, help these ones to know. Help them to understand how much you love them. Fill them with your spirit and enable them to see it. Indeed, we are finite. We are weak. We are helpless. We can't begin to understand it. And so we need Christ dwelling in us for that very purpose, to help us. Look again at Paul's words. We need what he says in verse 16. We need to to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Verse 17, we we need Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith so that we might be rooted and grounded in love. And thereby, verse 18, we might have strength to to comprehend with all the saints to comprehend that great love. But look look at Paul's description of it. How much much does God love you, dear Christian? He loves you with a, a love so great that you can't begin to understand it, that you need prayer, you need to pray for yourself and others, that you might begin to understand it more and more. He loves you with a love, which as Paul describes it, it's, it's infinitely broad and long and high and deep. Might, might call to mind the, the, the words of the psalmist, where the psalmist says, your love Oh, Lord, Psalm 36, or as the ESV translates that word, chesed, your steadfast love, O Lord, it extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. It is infinite. It is incomprehensible. Think back to Solomon's prayer, right? The heaven, even the heavens, the heaven of heavens cannot begin to contain you, O God. Well, what is God? God is perfect love. Even the heavens cannot begin to contain his love. Incomprehensible. And yet, ironically, paradoxically, Paul is praying for power to comprehend. And so should we. We should pray it for ourselves. We should pray it for others. Power to comprehend God's love. I think this is should a... Uh, as we, we think about this, to, to, to know God's love, this should serve as a, a rebuke to any one of us if sometimes we operate on a knowledge that's distorted and contrary to God's love, you know, a, a knowledge where we, we know things, we know things, but, but we don't know things in a way that breaks our heart before the Lord, that warms our hearts unto the Lord in love and devotion, maybe a love that's cold and calculated, or, or, or I'd say a knowledge rather that's, that's cold, that's calculated. We, we know things, but do we know the Lord? Maybe it may be a love that moves us even to pride. Look at how smart I am. Look at my great handle on the Word of God. Look at my great grasp of theology. You might call to mind the words of uh, the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the, the, the church in Corinth, a, cur- a church which was filled with divisions. Paul was concerned about unity, even as he'll soon write about unity in Ephesus as well. But there was a church that was fighting over things like whether it's okay to eat food, which has been offered to an idol. And they were boasting in their 
knowledge, and Paul rebuked them, you might recall, from, uh, with those words we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, where he writes, this knowledge, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It should strike us as, as something truly tragic and should break our hearts to think that, that we, can, we can treat with, so, with such lack of love those whom God loves with such infinite love this evening. And I think that our text reminds us well, reminds you well, Christian, your knowledge is worthless if your knowledge of God doesn't break your heart unto God with a sense of the greatness of his love. And if it doesn't move you to get down on your knees and pray that you'll love his, know his love more and love one another more and pray for others to know his love more and more. Brothers and sisters, if our knowledge does not move us to say with the Apostle Paul, for this reason, I bow and bow in humble prayer to our loving God and how much God loves us, then what good is our knowledge? Let us, let us pray that we would know the love of God all the more. And lastly, let us do so in faith. That brings us to our last point this evening about Paul's prayer. Prayer. Paul prayed with prayer with confidence that God would powerfully, there's that word power again, grant all that he asked. Just look at those final verses, 20 and 21. These words are like a concluding blessing, aren't they? We could use them as a benediction to a worship service. In fact, I'm going to do just that a little bit later. But look at them. Lo and behold, here they are, not at the conclusion of a worship service, not even at the conclusion of the letter, but here right at the conclusion of this prayer. You could, you could use these as a concluding word or, or concluding words to any prayer you offer to God, but may they reflect the kind of prayers which you offer to God. May you May they, may they speak to the kind of faith with which you and I pray to our God. These are wonderfully instructive words. They, they, they teach us about prayer. They teach us about praying with confidence as we pray according to God's will. Notice that, that, that Paul's prayer did not end with, with sort of an expression of doubt as if he was wondering whether God really was able to do the things that he was asking him to do. Not at all. Paul Paul gives words of praise to the God who is powerful. He is able, verse 20, able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Power. God is not weak. Note that again. If there's one attribute of God, apart from love, perhaps, one other attribute of God that really... Our text really focuses our attention upon this evening. It's the power of God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, his wisdom, and his power, and all of his other glorious attributes. Powerful and also good, loving, good. Paul is not, not ask, Paul is asking for good things and asking for things which he knows that God truly desires to give. There's no fear here that, that God is powerless, impotent, and no fear that he's, he's asking God to give things that God really does not want to give. 
Sometimes you children go to your parents and you ask for something that you, you have a pretty good idea. Probably my parents don't want me to have this thing, right? Maybe it's even something you've, you've asked for before and they've said no and you thought, well, why not try again? The worst they can do is say no, right? But you ask knowing probably this isn't something they want me to have. Probably I'm asking for something I won't get and probably down deep I know I should not get this. Well, that's not the kind of asking that we see Paul in his prayer this evening. Note again the language there. Uh, in verse 20, it's, 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 Paul speaks of that, uh, where, where it says, according to the power at work within us. So the thing for which Paul is asking, for, uh, for, for God to fill the believers with himself, for God to enable them by his power to know his love, this thing that Paul is asking God to do down deep in their hearts, it is the very thing that God is already doing. The Spirit is at work in us doing this very thing. He desires to do it, and he is doing it. He desires it far more than you or I ever will desire it. And what's so beautiful about the prayer, which we see this evening, is this so reflects the heart of Christ himself. Of course it does. This was inspired by the Spirit of Christ. As Paul was praying, this was like Christ praying through him and moving him to write about this prayer. Jesus Jesus is the one who was and is completely filled with all the fullness of God. Of course, Jesus was God. But even as the God-man Messiah, he's the one who is filled to the fullness, supremely filled with God. Jesus is the one who knows of God's infinite love. He knows way down deep in his heart just how much how much the Father loves him, how much the Father loves the, uh, the Son, and he desires the very same for his people. Brothers, just, just think about that. Sisters, just think about that. Think about that this evening. As we come to desire and to pray for these things, we are desiring and asking for the very same things that, that Jesus himself desires and asks for. In this way, we're being conformed into the image of Christ deep down in our hearts, and that ought to fill us with comfort and confidence that it will happen. Talk about powerful, powerful prayer. Imagine Jesus praying. Remember growing up, uh, learning that, that verse in James 5.16 in the old King James Version, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, or the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In the SV, it's translated, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Well, praise God for the righteous one. Praise God for our Savior, our great intercessor, our great perfectly praying high priest, one whose prayers are powerful and effectual. He will receive all that for which he asks. And indeed, just think about the manner in which that will be fulfilled now in the church and forever and ever. In closing this evening, just think about eternity. Think about heavenly glory. Our text, as it concludes, fills us with thoughts of eternity, right? Forever 
and ever. What a reminder that God will be supremely glorified throughout all eternity. And so Paul writes, to him be glory in the church, that's now in his church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Just think about the fact that a day will come when at last we will, each one, down deep in our hearts, we will be filled with all of the fullness of God. A day will come when we shall know without any sinful doubts just how much God loves us, as surely as the Father loves the Son, for we are in the Son, and he is in us and will be and will fill us for all eternity, eternity in heavenly glory. We shall know love perfectly when at last we see Jesus in all of his glory. I think we're reminded of that so wonderfully. And in some of the words of Jesus in, in his high priestly prayer. I love these words. And listen to these, John 17, verse 24. And note the connection here between love and glory. Here's what Jesus prayed. He prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And what Jesus desired, as reflected in that prayer, and as it's reflected in the prayer we see in our text tonight, that desire will be fulfilled. Jesus will receive all that he prays for. And the only question I suppose for us this evening is, once again, how will we respond? Will you, will I, like Paul, fall down? For this reason, I bow before our God. Like Paul, will we pray? Uh, prayer without ceasing. Pray, pray, pray. You learn to pray like we're taught to pray in this text. You are, you are laying hold of the glories of the age to come. The powers of the age to come are at work at you and me as we learn to be people of pray and pray as God desires that we pray by the power of Christ. Let us learn to pray. Pray without ceasing now, forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do just that. Oh, God, come to us. Help us, we pray. Uh, By your spirit, may your word fill us. Apply it to our hearts and our lives and help us to imitate your apostle, even as he imitated our Savior. Teach us, Lord God, to desire and to ask for those things which you desire. Father, cause us this evening, we pray, to know of your great love for us and so to love you and love one another. And Lord God, may in all of our lives, may we bow before you then in ceaseless prayer. In this way, indeed, help us to lay hold of that eternal life to which you called us, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.